and even still that's kind of all all they went on about and they kind of they had a big party started really getting on the smash we joined in with a couple of beers because you have to yeah and then I just remembered what happened yeah it was uh, maybe not my finest hour but I don't regret it no 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 I'm with not, you I'll back you to the hills so let me paint the picture okay. kind of looked at me and they said the answer was, was alcohol so ladies and gentlemen the Tempest 2 Tom Caulfield James Whistle the Tempest 2 this is the story of the Tempest 2 Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode four of the Tempest 2 podcast. Um, if you haven't listened yet and this is your first episode, episodes one, two, and three were all around our first big adventure, uh, the Atlantic Row. So if you haven't checked that out, get back to the start. Go back. Stop pushing in line. Check it out. That's, um, yeah, that's where it all started for us. And in this episode, we're going to cover kind of what happened after that and and what we do now as our day-to-day job uh, and our immediate steps when we got back to London after rowing the Atlantic. So yeah, I think we finished on at the end of last episode, we just handed our notice in. Yeah. So we just left our jobs and day one of being fun employed, we, (laughs) we went to Sweden for a week and we basically had heard about the Swedish archipelago and thought what better way to kickstart the Tempest 2 than to uh, kayak through the archipelago. We slept on all the islands, wild camping. And this was basically a week of us kind of off the grid to figure out how we were gonna turn the Tempest 2 into a business, how we were gonna monetize it, how we were gonna pay the bills, uh, and also by getting some nice content whilst in Sweden. Yeah, it, it was it was actually an amazing trip. It was epic. Looking back on it, it was, really low key, it like, didn't take much organisation at all. We flew to Stockholm, um, or we thought well, we were flying yeah, to Stockholm. Total bullshit. Yeah, word, like Stansted, yeah it? word out there, don't fly to Stockholm, Skanska or whatever it's called. It's it's a good two hours away from, <laughs> from actual Stockholm. It's like flying to London and arriving in Birmingham and then having to get a bus in. It was mental. Um, and we went to a place called Dalaman, wasn't it, where we, we picked up the kayaks? Dalaman? Yeah. Wasn't it Dolora or something like that? It was Dolora. <laughs> Dalaman, I believe, is actually a destination in Turkey. <laughs> yeah, so don't head to Dalaman, there's, there's no water there. I believe Turkey will be lovely as well, but... Oh, so much conviction in Dalaman I know, as well. Got fair play, if you say it loud enough, people will go. <laughs> Get yourself into Dalaman. Um, lovely holiday in Turkey. But we went Dolora, Dolores? Something like that, yeah. Let's have a look. Dave, again, is busy, early doors. Dave, figure out where we went, boy. Dave's our producer. Yeah, so anyway, we just headed to this place. It was as simple as... Delaro. Delaro. Ah, Delaro. <laughs> Delaro <laughs> the in mask the of Delaro. And we just rocked up there. We got a bus there, didn't we? Yeah. Just rocked up, got in these kayaks. Obviously, I'd never kayaked before, but kayaking's easy, right? Yes. So we just jumped in, had loads of kit on us, like... We were just going to live on the archipelago. There's the the law in Sweden is you can camp anywhere you want, as wild camping is encouraged and, and fully legal, unlike over here in the UK. Um, so we just wanted to take advantage of that. We loaded the kayaks up, food, camps, stuff. 
Pants. <laughs> Loads of pants <laughs> required. Um, Wet wipes. And then just set off. And it was a bit sketchy for the first 20 minutes because obviously the carts were heavy and we were just, we, we actually had, it was pretty cool. We had no destination planned for any night. We were just gonna, our plan was just to kayak for an extended period of time. Usually not very long. Oh yeah, half an hour, <laughs> half coffee an hour. stop. And then, yeah, we were grinding coffee, had a few beers again with us. Um, and it was incredible. The, I think the Swedes just get it right in everything they do, don't so they? So many levels. Flat pack furniture. Furniture? <laughs> I love flat pack furniture. <laughs> flat pack furniture, they just do well. Um, they're just light years ahead. And even just they're like, when we were like, so we can camp anywhere. They're like, yeah, of course you can. Like, just camp where you want. So we, our day would look like we'd get in the kayaks, we'd have a leisurely morning where we'd grind some coffee, we'd cook some stuff on the little camp stove, and then we'd, have a little look at the map, but we'd head out and then we'd find like an island, have a little explore around it. And some of these islands are, I don't know, the size of a roundabout, Other, others are kind of a bit more substantial, but you go and have a look around and you're basically always looking for the next place to camp because some of them are a bit like, I don't know, they're covered in mozzies or yeah. there's millions of mozzies everywhere loads to be of, fair. Loads of birds on a couple yeah, of islands. Some of them are just like where the tide washes up, like just like seaweed, so they stink. So you're trying to find the next place to camp, and in the meantime, you're stopping for lunch, you're seeing rocks to jump off. It's basically like a, it's like a school trip. <laughs> it's essentially what it was. It was very leisurely, like really leisurely. And it was, to be fair, it was kind of the perfect way to kick off being self-employed, because we had nothing to do but just chat about how we were gonna make a living from the Tempest 2. We had all these grand plans and we had a, we took a notepad with us. We had no computer or anything because there was absolutely no signal anywhere. And it was, yeah, it was an amazing way to kind of, it was almost like a company retreat with two of us. <laughs> On the first, first day. day. <laughs> I'm not even sure we were a limited company at that point. I think some of the, the most eventful moments in Sweden, which were obviously apart from the amazing sunsets and like some of the scenery was absolutely unreal. And you, we didn't see anyone for days at a time. No. Apart from when we, we went to stay on this one island and it had like a jetty with a boat. And some of these islands are private because it's basically millionaires with huge mansions, but we couldn't see a big house. And we, we docked up, got out our kayaks and there were all these little huts. And we were like looking around trying to speak to someone to see if we could stay there. Um, and we finally saw someone and they were like, yeah, this is, I think it was owned by like the, like a Swedish bank. Yeah, like, it was a big like bank. Deutsche Bank or someone like that. They basically owned this island and gave their employees access to go on holidays with their family and whatever. But it was all a bit weird, wasn't it? Like they were really... It was like something out of a weird, scary yeah. film. Like, yeah, it was too idyllic to be normal. And it was like Shutter Island. Like we yeah, just arrived exactly. and they're like, yeah, of course you can stay here. Yeah. And then they directed us, they're like, there's a big clearing through the woods that you can camp there. It's perfect for camping. And you're like, a clearing in the woods? Yeah. It's like, you can't write this shit. It was like some sort of amphitheater for mass murder. It was. And they like took us through and they're like, down there, go down there, like you get a good night's sleep. And I remember we set up our tent and it was like, this is all a bit strange. Yeah. And we the, the, we saw one person, spoke to them, they sent us down there, we put our tent up, we didn't see anyone else. And then we had dinner as usual, the sun went down. And then you were like, mate, I feel really, really sick. 
Yeah. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> Stop going on about it. And then you suddenly like jumped out of the tent and started puking. And it was like, oh, here we <laughs> go. Nightmare. Yeah, violent, violently sick. And it came on immediately. It was kind of like, there's only one thing it could have been really. And that was something I'd eaten, which is weird because I haven't really eaten that much. But it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I remember stumbling. To the, there was like a toilet half a mile away or something like that and stumbling towards that I think by the time I got there I, there was nothing left in me anyway horrible thought and then you came down just to see if I was okay yeah I was actually shit scared being there I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll come clean here I didn't give a fuck about you I was literally on my own in this tent like I'm gonna go see if it's alright yeah fair enough well either way <laughs> nice sentiment yeah, yeah and then we kind of made our way back and some really weird rustling in the bushes oh, was heard. And it was like, it just threw me straight into the set of Jurassic Park. Well, it was just like footsteps and then like a huge like thud. And it was, it was like something big and it was like, oh my God, yeah, like we're gonna die. The deep breathing of like a buffalo or yeah. something like that. And so we legged it back to the tent and we had those <laughs> little James Brown pocket knives yeah. from the row. Both got our basically letter openers out. <laughs> and we're there in the tent and then we we could hear this like the trees were being like pushed and like swung by something and it was like when like a t-rex is coming through the jungle yeah. in Jurassic Park the sound of it like the creaking of the trees yeah though. and it was like all around us in this clearing and like the, we're surrounded by this woodland and we're like right this is it like, we're gonna die it's a fight to the death yeah <laughs> it's, 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 it's an amphitheater with a velociraptor yeah. of all things and we're like we're not getting off this island like we're gonna have to fight our way out with pen knives. <laughs> uh, so we didn't sleep all night. And then we woke up, obviously very early because we hadn't been asleep, got out, packed our tent, packed our tent away. Uh, and as we were leaving, we saw someone else, didn't we? And we were like, like what, what the hell is all that noise over there? And they said it's moose yeah. that swim. These massive moose swim from the mainland for miles to these islands. And they basically like, rub their antlers on the tree or something like that or like mark their territory doing that and so that was what we could hear was these huge moose kind of doing that around us and that's what brutally attacked us on the back <laughs> we were ready to take down a moose uh, but luckily luckily that never happened but it was it was awesome what time of year did we go June was it July yeah July when did we leave yeah. July. and it was light for maybe 20 hours a day it was it was weird actually, it's kind of dusk and dawn for ages, um, which meant that we did get absolutely hammered by mosquitoes. Mozzies were the downside. Apart from that, would highly recommend. It's cool actually, I know a few lads um, I went to uni with have done it off the back of uh, reading our blog and a couple of guys I went to school with have done it. I think um, I think it's probably the most asked about adventure that we've done for, like, for what people want to do. It's as so well. easy to do. Yeah, and if you've got a week break from work or a little trip you can do it with a family or something it's accessible and it was absolutely banging yeah no it was good and then we had the week there then we were we spent the night in Stockholm but our flight was at like 5am oh yeah we had the, the balance the toss up do we get a hotel and the hotels like Sweden is spenny even even the hostel was like a couple hundred quid wasn't yeah. it yeah so we were like a couple hundred quid and we're entrepreneurs we're yeah. startup. a <laughs> couple hundred quid to get a good night's sleep or uh, 500 quid on a night yeah, or 500 quid to just go through the night in the club and then <laughs> and then get the bus at 4.30 or whatever it was straight to the airport and catch a train there so obviously we went with the latter we didn't want to just get in a hostel and get a couple of hours sleep when we could 
really explore Stockholm's nightlife. Uh, so we ended up in this big like event overlooking Stockholm, kind of at about 11 o'clock, goes into a real blur. Yeah. And then I remember being on being the on bus. <laughs> being at Gatwick. Yeah, <laughs> basically being on the bus to Stockholm slash Birmingham Airport. And it was the worst decision we've ever made. Oh man, the fear when you get on the plane after that. Like, so many people do that, don't they, on Stagview. It's just like, nah, let's just go through on the last night and get the flight. <laughs> Steve naive. Oh my god, that's um, that's probably top five of hangovers I've had. I think it was it was awful, but made worse by the fact that it was about a tenner a pint. Yeah, that's true. And we were drinking gin and tonic, so double that. Yeah, it was. Uh, and when you drink like seventy three beers or, <laughs> or or fifty gin and tonics, it's yeah. it's expensive. Absolute legend alert. We can really tuck it away. But yeah, then we got back home, felt a bit shit. Uh, and then it was like Monday morning and it's like I remember I built a little Ikea desk Ikea getting a lot of airtime a huge sponsor built a little Ikea desk in my living room in my flat in London sat down the laptop it's like day one entrepreneur (laughs) here we go and I remember just being like no emails absolutely (laughs) nil point and at this point as you said earlier we were like right how do we make money? We do big adventures. We get brands to pile loads of cash in. Yeah. Easy cash. Um, and that was is, is not how it's turned out at all. No, not not at all. I think it became, well, it may be a sign of, of what was to come was the fact that we needed to do some consultancy work and we relied on our marketing experience to that kept us afloat yeah to tie us over the first few months and i think probably at the time we put that down to us not really having a firm idea of our next adventure we were maybe speculatively speaking to brands about the future but with no real concrete thing so we were doing marketing consultancy on the side to essentially pay the bills the first few months and then what's something that we didn't expect and now plays a huge part in our uh, the way we make money um, was we started getting requests for keynotes and speaking at companies and events. Um, one that we did quite early on. Oh, Berlin. Oh, Berlin, which Berlin stands was the first out one. for multiple reasons. Oh, what an eventful talk. So I, think I got a message on LinkedIn through an ex-client at my old agency. It was like, oh, I've got to intro you to this guy, the CEO in Berlin. He's CEO of this tech company. Um, they're looking for a speaker for their like summer party. So I got introed. Anyway, the guys, like, how much do you cost? And it's like, oh my god, uh, we hadn't even even considered that speaking would be an avenue, or if there was money in it, or how much money. So we gave him a cost really low, and he was like, yep, yeah, no worries. And it was like, holy shit! Yeah, we're getting flown out to Berlin. Yeah, to speak to a company. And for us, that was like this absolute light bulb. It's like people are gonna would pay us to go and speak and so we flew out there we were absolutely pumped and early flight to Berlin and I remember it well because we sat down for breakfast at Heathrow like really early like early hours in the morning and it was the day that Brexit went through exactly yeah and we were getting paid in euros baby oh yeah yeah so the pound dumped yeah Um, and yeah we we got to the airport and it just been announced Brexit has gone through and then we went out to Germany, did this talk, which we just kind of winged. It was still pretty good, but like all of the gags, like this, there must have been 200 people there, like most of them German, the other ones like European, a few Dutch, whatever. 
And every gag, they just, they had no clue they no. should be even remotely laughing because it was quite dry and just went straight over the head. Yeah, I think maybe... Europeans don't get it, do they? No, at that point, the um, we hadn't learned to dial it into different audiences. So no. we, we ran with what we found was hilarious and it wasn't it wasn't reciprocated. And I remember we do a Q&A after uh, all of our keynotes and the timing of it was just not ideal because every single question we got was about Brexit. It's like, how do you feel about Brexit, you asked? <laughs> I don't know, what yeah. are you talking about? Like, and to the point that, that we then finished the, the Q&A, it was 20 minutes of questions on Brexit that we obviously have no answer for. It's, it's still not happened three years later. Um, and it was it was so weird. Uh, and we left, we were invited to their company barbecue. And even still, that's kind of all, all they went on about. And they kind of, they had a big party, started, started really getting on the smash. We joined in with a couple of beers, because you have to. Yeah. And then... I just remembered what happened. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> maybe not my finest hour, but I don't regret it. No, 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 I'm with not, you. I'll back you to the hills. So let me paint the picture. Okay, yeah. So we joined the summer barbecue, um, like good setup outside in this big courtyard by their office, had a few beers chatting about Brexit, which got pretty tedious pretty quickly. Uh, and then we were having a, a chat with the CEO about the talk and whatnot. Uh, and then I don't know if it's like a thing in Berlin or if they're just like techie nerds, it's their thing, but they kept flicking us with like water or something or like yeah, beer, beer or something. Yeah, whatever they were drinking. But like they, they dip their fingers in their beer and then they'd like flick it at us. Were we being bullied? <laughs> I think we might have been being bullied, but it felt like the whole time the vibe was weird. I think they're essentially trolling us for leaving the EU. There was a lot of, a lot of, uh, quite a lot of like patronising shit chat. Wasn't yeah. There? Like, oh, what are you going to do now? It's yeah, like, exactly. are you, what are you on about? I really don't care. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of crescendoed to the point they were flicking, they were flicking water on the back of your neck. You were trying to have a conversation with the CEO, and you went, oh, excuse me, mate, and you you took the CEO's dark and stormy out of his hand, turned around and just absolutely lobbed it in this bloke's face. Yeah, I know. I, full, <laughs> full pint of dark and stormy. I don't know what came over The me. look on this bloke's face, it was, it was just like, oh my God. And like everyone was like, oh my God. And I was just like, woo! <laughs> <laughs> I remember just, I was trying to have a conversation. It was like <laughs> so patronizing. I was like, oh, if this is like play on, everyone's flicking more at each other. I didn't have a drink. So just, what just grab the CEOs. Just dashed it in at this guy and then gave him back the empty glass. His face was an absolute picture. Um, and I just thought, you know, set the tone a bit more. Yes, if, we're gonna, if we're going to do it, let's do it. And I probably had had more beers than I realised. But yeah, we, we, didn't, we didn't get invited to the next party, did no, we? No, we exited that party <laughs> very promptly. Yeah, I think that, um, that was the end of that relationship. So that was our first corporate speaking gig and it ended with a pint in the face. But there's many learnings from it. Huge learnings. But um, I, I still don't do a talk on the day of Brexit in Europe. Is I, one. I don't. I know. I don't blame myself. No, <laughs> no. I'm with you on it. I'm with you on it. People, people listening may frown and think you're an arsehole. Yeah. Yeah, but they wouldn't be too wrong. <laughs> no. But in that occasion, no. I was. Um, I think you're in the right. I felt totally. like I was in the right, and the guy took it. I think he took it well. I don't think he did. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> uh, no, me neither. Um, but yeah, that was, I think, when we realised anyway, on the way back, um, that there was potential for in that line of work because the, the talks that we'd done, even there, to be fair, but 
Uh, aside from that, we, we'd done a few in London, uh, Airbnb, a few people that had got in touch. And the feedback was overwhelmingly really positive. Yeah. And we immediately, I think, saw a little gap for where we could fit in, which was we are not like most motivational speakers out there. And there are some very good ones. But the same reason, the same thing that we sell when we do adventures is the same reason that we think we're unique when it comes to speaking is we are more like the audience than your traditional motivational speaker. We don't have 25 years military experience. We've not got Olympic medals or won World Cups. Um, And it would be easy, I think, to see that that was our down point. But we've positioned it in a way that I think is more relatable to the most of the people sat in those rooms. Yeah, I think everyone would have been to some event where there's been an after dinner speaker or some kind of speaker and usually it is you know like Clive Woodward or it's Roger Black or it's so and so depending on the budget and you're listening to someone who is elite and it's fascinating to listen to those people but when you leave that room the only real thing you're getting is like an interesting insight like oh that's what they spoke about at half time or that was his morning routine but you can't relate to it in any way because a lot of these people are you know, gifted in some way or have trained their whole lives to get to a certain point and you can't relate to it. Whereas when we speak, we basically just take the piss out of ourselves for an hour and show that, do you know what? Like it's pretty clear pretty quickly that there's nothing special about us. And we've been able to do this, 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 and this by basically having this mindset and removing the word can't. That's kind of what we base the talk on is trying to get people to realize they're capable of way more. And I think that's why the speaking side of the business is, is kind of taken off. And I'm not saying that we did one talk and then every week we were giving talks, it wasn't the case. It's been an absolute slog to get to where we are today. And it's still like, we'll have two in a month or three in a month and then we won't have any for four months. And yeah. I think it's only now that it's beginning to pick up traction. That's purely through just referrals and word of mouth, we've yeah. done no advertising, it's very, very hard to get out there. That's, that the, that's the good and bad thing about it is, is none of the business we've got has come from us approaching people. No. It's all come from referrals and we did a talk here and it's been referred here and that, that's great things. It shows that we're doing a good job the same way when we get repeat business, but at the same time, it's very hard to generate that. Um, and that I think is why we well we obviously want to keep doing adventures as well and, and stay relevant rather than talk about something that we did years and years ago um, and it's ended up that yeah that, that's a huge part of what we do and, and as an extension of that we, we launched a, a new business last year uh, kind of as we were asked back into these companies to almost dive more into our learnings from the adventures and breaking them down into workshop sessions that kind of directly relate to that company yeah so yeah we launched dose a year ago this week actually oh yeah shit um, congratulations to us should we go on a bender now should we um, but yeah so the last three and a half years has been a total roller coaster and I think the question we get asked the most is like so what what do you do or what are you and my girlfriend Manny often kind of gives me a hard time because someone will ask when she's there, like, oh, what, what do you do? And I kind of play it down. It's like, oh, well, you know, a bit of, bit of marketing content stuff and, and a bit of adventure stuff. And I'm very hesitant to say I'm a professional adventurer. Yeah. Because 
think if I walked into a room and said, hi, what do you do? And someone said, I'm a professional adventurer. I would immediately label them as a knobhead. Yeah, absolutely. Dash them with a dark story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Find the nearest dark story and absolutely punish them with yeah. it. But, but that, that is essentially what we do. We, we make a living out of taking on adventures, working with brands and getting them to fund it. And I think it's worth saying that the hardest thing about what we do is raising money for adventures. Yeah. Um, people, down. Like, people think that maybe once you've done a couple and you've got a slight profile that it's really easy. Um, we, we got told recently, didn't we, that uh, ben, ben Fogel did Everest last year or earlier this year and could not get funding for it. And that's someone who is, you know, a staple of like British adventure. Yeah, fully established. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he couldn't get funding for it. And I think we get regular emails or messages saying, I really want to do this thing. Can I have a quick call to discuss how to raise money for it? And we take those calls and we give advice where we can, but there's no magic pill. It is just sending thousands of emails. It is figuring out what your story is, having a hook, and then being clever with how you pitch it. Because these brands like Garmin and GoPro and Patagonia and whoever else, are getting so many of these requests that they do not need to spend any money to get good content out of yeah. people. Because a lot of people who are doing it on the side absolutely buzz off a free coat or a free jacket or a free camera, which for us is great to get that, of course, but that doesn't fund our flights or yeah. fund the production or fund the logistics or the training. So it is so, so difficult, but I guess we're lucky to be in a position now where we've worked hard enough to generate revenue from other sources like speaking and workshops that we now get our adventures funded by brands so LCAP for example will be funded by brands and everything over and above that we now give to an environmental cause we're part of 1% for the planet which is an organisation where 1% of our turnover goes to environmental causes so everything over and above we now give away to kind of good causes as almost like an earth tax to kind of yeah. respect that we're lucky to kind of go to these places and do what we do. But it is brutally hard for yeah. sure. Yeah, 100%. And I think obviously that that's what we do now. And to rewind back to 2016 when we, we did this talk in Berlin and adventure was still in our head, the main way we were going to make money, um, we, were, we were looking ahead at what we could do that year. Um, and... I can't remember why, but what popped into our head was climbing Mont Blanc. I think I think we wanted something that was can be done relatively quickly. Yeah, it was local, was relatively low cost. Yeah, and I think when we looked at it, it it's still the most dangerous mountain in the world. Yeah, kills most people for the yeah the the people that try and do it. There's a real sketchy area on there that is where most of the accidents happen, and I think for something about it appealed to us. Um, and not really in the traditional sense. We wanted to do it out of season, so to speak, and really glad we did. So we ended up going, when was it? When did we go? October, November? November. November. Um, so the weather was getting super unpredictable. Um, we found a guide, a guy called Eric, who is- What a nutter. Absolutely nuts. Um, the guide is probably a very loose word for him. He is a loose cannon. He's a gnarly gnarly guy that we followed up the mountain there wasn't a huge amount of guiding <laughs> well, going on or instruction to give context so 
we decided we wanted to do Mont Blanc. We reached out to a partner uh, called Lifeproof, who we worked with on the row, uh, and we flew out to Chamonix, and we we did it with like a uh, what would you call them? Almost like an adventure company who organised the logistics. Yeah. They sorted out the accommodation, gave us a guide, uh, and we arrived in the chalet. And there was uh, a group of like a few girls and a few guys who were also doing it, and. They got given one guide and we got given Eric. Um, and basically because we'd spoken to this company and we got a bit of a discount through them because uh, we we're going to give them some content, we mentioned we were adventurers in the loosest of terms and we'd rode the Atlantic. They presumed that we were like animals. Hardcore. Yeah, yeah, like hardcore mountaineers, know what we're doing, just want some guy to kind of show us the way up. And... Yeah, we were there. There was nobody else climbing it because it's in the winter. When people climb Mont Blanc, it's very much in the summer because uh, it's more of a, a scramble than a climb. It's quite easy to do in the summer. And it was brutal. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. Yeah. And, well, we did Grand Paradiso Mountain in Italy first. Um, learned the hard way. Left our lunch at the bottom. Oh, God, that was bad. Got probably a couple hundred metres from the summit for a little lunch break having left at like four in the morning, opened the bag, nothing in there. Not chorizo or sandwich, <laughs> absolutely and not. We, we basically bonked, we hit the wall massively, blood sugar, <laughs> absolutely depleted, oh, yeah, and we bad. were, yeah, we were in a, in a horrible way, and the weather started coming in, and so that was a steep learning curve, Grand Paradiso, and then we had a day off to get back to Chamonix, which is where we were based for the week had the worst doms, oh. the sorest legs I've ever had yeah, in my life. Barely walk. Big blisters from these budget crampons that we'd rented. Uh, and then the next day we were starting up uh, Mont Blanc, which was horrendous, like getting the legs going again that morning. And we did the Dom de Goutte route um, and basically stayed 40 to 50 meters behind this guide, Eric, who just ran up and then would wait for us for a bit, ran up, wait for oh, us for a bit. lost him must have been, must have been 15 times. Yeah. Like, he'd just burn off ahead of us. We just felt like a pure inconvenience yeah. to him. <laughs> and then he'd just be waiting there and we'd, we'd arrive like 20 minutes after him. He'd be like, oh, hello guys, how are you? So it's like, Eric, man, like, please slow down. Yeah. And he's like, yes, yes, but you rode the Atlantic, right? It's like, yes, I know we're legends, but, <laughs> but not in the mountaineering world yet. Yeah. Um, Shoot my bell, Eric, please. And we, we had to, because it was out of season, we had to walk from the town uh, and we walk up and then the first day is going up to a, like it's almost, I want to call it a hut, but it's not a hut. It's like a spaceship on the mountain. Yeah, it's amazing. It's basically it? this huge refuge hut, they call it. It's called, what's it called? Yeah, the Goutte Hut. Goutte Hut. Uh, and you walk up to that and it gets a bit scrambly and you get to it and it is unbelievable. It's this big, if, if you want to Google it, have a look at it, it's quite hard to explain. But it's basically like a big silver ball um, halfway up the mountain and there's kind of bunks in there and stuff like that. and. We got in there, we were literally the only people there, no one was climbing it. Slept there for the night, and then at 4 a.m. we left for the summit. And uh, I remember walking out the door, it's still pitch black, and it was like a huge storm going on. It was like you couldn't see anything. And then Eric's like, right, we go. And he didn't even tie a rope to us, <laughs> which now knowing a bit more about it, is pretty good practice. Yes, absolutely, and, especially in the dark. Yeah, and it was, it was savage, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was really hard, I remember, um, I can't remember the, the name of the routes and, and the hills and the different ridges and stuff we were on, but yeah, we were 
kind of jumping over crevasses. I fell down a crevasse. Yeah, yeah, you fell down a crevasse. <laughs> we had ice axes that was out. embarrassing. <laughs> like hanging on the road. Yeah, yeah. When I say falling down a crevasse, it wasn't like touching the void. I like basically tripped over. <laughs> Got legged just up. Just basically just like <laughs> fell down a crevasse to like my waist and then like tumbled down it a bit next to all these like ski poles that had been dropped by other climbers and then embarrassingly had to like crawl out. I think we had, um, we probably packed the biggest lunch out of everyone because we had learnt from Grand Paradiso. Eric, meanwhile, takes a little tube of paste. Eric eats once a week. Yeah, he's, he's a camel. Yeah. He's an absolute camel. He's an intermittent faster. <laughs> just once a week. So we had a bag full of gear. We took beer up with bag us. Bag full of gear? <laughs> bag full of food. Halfway up, that's that a help. <laughs> bag full of food. We took beer up with us because we were going to kick off a uh, thing called bucket list beers. Oh yeah, that never took off. No, we should maybe get back on that. Yeah, we did it once didn't we yeah we took a beer up to the top so we could have a beer at the summit um and eric we ran up there i think heart rate must have been about 200 the entire way it was and quick as a bit of a reference we we got up there had about 15 20 minutes on the summit all the pictures completely by ourselves yeah it was amazing were quite near the hut again where we crossed the other groups that had started at the same time as us we were he was literally running up this hill we did it um i actually remember because we i put it in the blog i think we did it four and a half hours quicker than the other people in our group yeah which and that they were like normal people they were like us but we literally got dragged up this thing i think eric was just like he must have had like a, a coffee appointment later that day yeah he had a date in here with a bird. And then, we, and then we, so we got back down to the hut, had a few beers to celebrate, and then we'd slept there and we were going to go down um, the next morning. And I remember we were like, our legs were so sore that we, we, we called, we called <laughs> Lifeproof, the sponsor. We got, managed to get hold of their European marketing person. We were like, hey, it's, it's Tom and James. And she's like, oh, amazing, we're loving the content. Like, how's Mont Blanc? It's like, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Boy, oh boy, have we got a good idea. She was like, what is it? It's like, well, we're, uh, we're at the Goose Hut, which is like halfway up. We've just spoken to Eric, who's got a mate who's a helicopter pilot. And for the, uh, the, the summary price of 5,000 pounds, he'll fly up, pick us up, and we'll get like an amazing shot of the product, go like, back down to Chamonix. It would be epic. Basically trying to get signed off the world's most expensive Uber. <laughs> Taxi back. back she was to like, the um, yeah, okay, let me get back to you. Never ever again. <laughs> Shock horror. Oh, that would have been incredible. And then, yeah, we did another night there, didn't we? And then, and then finally stumbled back into Chamonix the following day. And we put a huge emphasis on celebrating our adventures. Yeah, 100%. And I remember the, the session actually in Chamonix on that one was, was, was truly monumental. It was big. And I think the reason we do that, let's put some clarity around that, because when we do like, when we're on adventures and we put up Instagram posts or whatever, some people have messaged us in the past being like, why are, you, why are you putting stories up of you guys on the smash afterwards? Which some part, sometimes that's fair. <laughs> some, some of them are stupid. Why are you streaking through the quad? Yeah. <laughs> stop, stop putting dick pics on your story. But I think a big part of it for us is like, we're not these like amazing, brave explorers, these squeaky clean, like ex-military 
Um, and we kind of want to celebrate that because when we finish an adventure, we are we are battered. We don't find it easy. Yeah. We don't find we don't find ourselves in the middle of the wilderness and are spiritually uplifted because of it. Like it's a real struggle. Yeah, we're scared a lot of time. Yeah, we're scared, <laughs> and we finish it, and we're like, wow, like we actually made it. Yeah. And like we're obviously really good mates, and I think the reason why we've got this recipe the right way is because you're doing something with your mate and when you're at the end of it you're there and you can celebrate whereas if you're doing this stuff on your own I, I couldn't do this stuff on my own no fair play yeah it's unbelievable what people do because half of the, the benefits of what we get from these ventures is sharing it with each other and like being there when I'm absolutely papped you're like mate come on give it another one and then when you're packed I'm like mate I'm packed as well <laughs> let's have a nap <laughs> we need someone else to tell me that I'm okay so I can tell you you're okay but for us it's a huge part of it and we, we make a real point of celebrating and letting people know that we're celebrating yeah we're like relieved as you would be proud of what we've just achieved as you would be and we just want to have a fucking great time yeah. after that don't we 100% we make sure that we do um, that one was probably the most well documented I think we put we numbered every single beverage um, <laughs> we got to like 14 then there was just radio silence <laughs> yeah I think that was um, we got a good feedback on that actually but Chamonix or that Mont Blanc trip was another one that they're actually probably the two most accessible ones that we've done yeah and two of the most enjoyable they were both amazing uh, Chamonix is again something anyone can fly to and you didn't you don't even have to go up Mont Blanc to have an amazing week there there's so many walks and runs and hikes and river like kayaking and stuff around there that hugely recommend that and that sense of adventure was in some ways just as big as the other things that we've done oh completely like it when you say you've done Mont Blanc people aren't like blown away by it uh, but it doesn't really matter like it was it was hard yeah and hugely rewarding but very easy to do. Yeah. And if anyone is looking for something where they're listening to this being like, do you know what, I fancy a bit of that. On our website, there's like a journal, There's we've documented everything we've done and we've gone into quite a lot of detail as to, you know, who we booked with or how much that cost or where we stayed. So it's a pretty good guide if you and a few mates wanted to be like, do you know what, let's go and give it a go. I know Joe from who we used to work with at Red Bull did it. Oh yeah. Um, people have done it. So people are actually going and doing it off the back of us writing about it, which is epic actually. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, but he probably found it easier than we did, to be fair. Oh yeah, he's much better than we are. <laughs> good, good rig on him as well. Shout out Joe Dagnall. Um, but yeah, so we that was kind of our first adventure outside of Sweden, like full time, where we we got paid to do it. And that was kind of our first professional, like okay there's something in this and the last three and a half years which is kind of what the next few episodes will be about kind of taking on different adventures and how we've struggled through it and um, a bit of the business side of it as well but that was what kicked it off and as soon as we got back from Mont Blanc it was like right what's next and I remember we were sending text I think one of us was like oh do you fancy doing I think you were like do you fancy doing your CBT motorbike test randomly on like a Monday yeah and he was like yeah alright and we did it on the Tuesday so we could then ride scooters yeah and we were like god scooters we look like we look a, a bit stupid on scooters <laughs> we're don't like we? yeah. there's nothing cool about us on the scooters we can't pull it off so it was like what about bigger bikes and that is kind of how the conversation started for our next adventure yeah and I think that's the, that's the perfect tee up for the next episode which we'll share 
which was a mental, mental adventure. Um, our journey from the, that CBT, uh, scooter riding in Watford around there, to um, <laughs> true to what, adventure. To what we eventually ended up doing and riding from London to the Sahara uh, on motorbikes immediately after passing our test. Yeah. So stay tuned for that one. That'll be coming a week from now. Um, and again, in the meantime, any questions, keep them coming. The response has been amazing. Way, way better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, same here. I think I mean, I my mum loves it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to get hammered um, by our mates and, and call it a day after a couple. But people are really interested in, I think, just what we do and, and maybe how we do it. And down the line, we'll, we'll keep talking about it, maybe get some guests on in the future as well. But yeah, keep the keep reviews and the feedback coming and any questions fire them our way and we'll do our best to answer them. Yeah, please do share if you like it. Please do review, put some stars on the Apple podcasts. If you can't listen to it on Apple, because Apple's pretty dodgy, isn't it? Yeah, as a platform. Terrible. Listen to it on Spotify. Um, but every share and comment we'd hugely appreciate because yeah, we, we had no expectation if people were gonna like this or not. So um, any feedback is is highly appreciated. And we will speak to you on your commute again <laughs> next Monday, baby. Have a good day. Cheers guys.